Amen. Well, uh, for those of you who have not met me, my name is Pastor Matt. I'm the worship pastor here. And uh, if this is your first day here, I already told a lovely uh, family, um, don't let this be your example of the teaching. Come back next week and hear Pastor David, hear Pastor Jackson. They are the, te- they are the real teachers of our church. Um, so don't, don't let today be the example. But I have the great privilege in uh, introing our prayer series for the, for the day. And so we're in this new series called Heart of Prayer. And so I already told Jackson this earlier, I'm gonna be saying the word prayer a lot. So my words might start to slur or I might start to get a little annoyed, but prayer has to be a big thing in our lives. It has to be a huge part of our lives. I believe the most powerful tool in our Christian tool set is prayer, but we use it seems like the least. Yeah, we might, we might worship, we might raise our hands, and then once we leave this place, we're just, we're kind of done with the Lord. Prayer is an effective tool for the Christian life. And we're not even getting to the nitty gritty of like true discipleship of fasting, right? Going without food uh, or, or keeping the, uh, the Sabbath holy or all these things. We're just talking about prayer. And even then it's hard for some people to go, well, my prayer life's okay. I'm okay, right? But yet we see the evidence of faith in our lives. And I see a lack of prayer in the life. So, what is prayer? What, what would we call prayer? What I would call prayer is, is an art. Really, there's an art to it. The art of prayer is an act of worship to not only connect, seek, and to grow in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Really, this is the greatest way that we have to get to know who Jesus is, to get to know who our Father is, to connect with the Holy Spirit. This is our tool to get there. If you're struggling to get to know him, if you're struggling to to have connections with him when we worship together, it's because you're not praying, you're not seeking. Prayer is an example of how we go to the Father in humility, how we speak to him. Think about your own father, your earthly father. If you never spoke to him, how can you ever have a relationship with him? One of, the, one of the most amazing things about my life right now is that I can have kind of a friendship with my father, right? He doesn't have to father me as much. He might have to smack me every once in a while for, for, for some stupid things, but I can have kind of a, a fun relationship with my father now. We play tennis together. Well, we'll probably play golf together soon, but I'm able to kind of go to him with not like questions like, Dad, where do babies come from? You know, is it the stork or is it something else? Not, not, no more questions like that, hopefully. But I get to go to him and say, Dad, I'm struggling with this. Can you help me? Dad, I got a question. How can I be a better husband? You know, one day, how can I be a better father? I'm going to my father with those same questions. But we have our heavenly father. And my father's not always available either. I'll text him or call him, he's working and everything. But we have a heavenly father who is available 24 seven that we get to go to with every care, every cry, every dream, every hope, every sorrow. And that's what our prayer life should look like. Giving and bringing to God everything because he wants to hear from us. He wants to listen. That's the amazing point. When Jesus died on the cross, When he tore the veil in two in the temple, the veil was torn. There was no more separation between man and God. We can now be in communion with the Father 
right? When Jesus ascended into heaven, he, he blessed us with the Holy Spirit that we have heaven dwelling inside of us. A lot of people say that when they get to heaven, they're gonna ask, you know, David or, or, or Samson or some of, these, some of these characters of faith, man, what was it like when you slayed Goliath? What was it like when you bust down the temple? But I was encouraged, a friend thought about this the other day. David might ask, what was it like having the Holy Spirit inside of you? What was it like having resurrection power inside of you, with you every single day? Have you ever thought about that? If you are saved by grace, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave dwells in you. And I think we grow numb to it. I think we rarely emphasize the power and the relationship that we have with the Father now because of Jesus Christ. So to understand the art of prayer, we're going to be studying the Lord's Prayer over these next three weeks. The, what, what most scholars, what most uh, theologians will say is the greatest prayer you know, ever, ever stated. It was stated by Christ when he was teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. So, so you can go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter six with us. And most of us, we know the Lord's Prayer by heart. We probably said it a hundred thousand times by now. And so over the next three weeks, I get the privilege to kind of intro this week. The next three weeks, we're gonna be talking about three elements, three main elements in the Lord's Prayer. The three elements are praise, confession, and supplication. Praise, confession, and supplication. I was joking with my wife this week that whenever I get a chance to preach, I always teach somehow on worship and praise. I don't ever get trusted with anything. Well, I taught on singleness that one time, but that's about it. The worship pastor gets the, but I, I'm so excited for this passage. I'm so excited for this topic because I believe God's really gonna encourage our hearts this morning. And I believe he's really gonna convict our hearts this morning. And let me just say this, for all that I've said about prayer so far, I am the chiefest of sinners when it comes to this. This sermon is for me this morning. I need to be a better prayer warrior. I need to be better in my prayer life. I need to trust in the Lord enough to go to him with everything. I am a man, so immediately, if there's a problem, what do I want to do? Fix it. Any men who are just natural fixers in the room? Most, okay, just me? All right, there you, there you go, Matt. Good to see you. Um, just naturally, if my wife has an issue, I'll immediately tell her, well, did you do this? Did you do this? Did you do this? And rarely ever is my answer, did you go to the Lord? That's my fault. That's my, that's my, that's my blind side. So let us be encouraged this morning what God can do and how he can teach us. So Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners that they, may see, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Oof. But when you go, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees you in secret will reward you. Hallelujah. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask. 
Pray then like this, and can we say this prayer together? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you sent your son to show us the way and how to pray, to, have, to how to live a relationship with you. God, give us the courage and boldness to, to put aside things, to put aside distractions so that our prayer life can grow and become stronger in every single way possible. God, we depend on you. God, we want to dwell in your house, in your presence. Father, would you draw us closer? Would we seek you above it all? And let your will be done here in this space, Lord. We ask all this in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen. Amen. So, before we get into the actual prayer, we'll kind of break down. So, we're, so I get the, like I said, I get the portion of praise today. So, Pastor David, over the next two weeks, we'll talk about our, the prayer of confession and prayer of supplication. But for me, today, we're going to go over the prayer of praise. And so, but before we get into the prayer, let us notice, let us notice what Jesus was instructing us. Look at, look at the first couple verses. Prayer is neither a spectacle, nor is it a ritual. If you're taking notes, write that down. Prayer is neither a spectacle or a ritual. Prayer is not something for you to showcase how godly you are. Have we all been at those Thanksgiving where Uncle Tom kind of stands up and goes, Lord, we thank you for your wonderful bounties. And he's going on, and, and the mashed potatoes are getting cold. Uh, the turkey is done, everything. And he just goes on and on. And if you didn't, you know, I might have had somebody like that, not naming names. But... Prayer is not a showcase, it's not a boastful tool for you, nor is prayer just a ritual for you. If you were taught to only pray the Lord's Prayer as your prayer every day, you were misled. See, look at look, look, look what uh, Jesus says here. Verse 9, pray then, underline, like this. It's not your only prayer. He says, he didn't say pray this every day. He says, pray then like this. Pray then like this. So yes, this is a wonderful prayer to pray. If you have no words, you can pray this. But God's desire is not for you just to chant something you know from, from, from childhood. Most of you probably know it from the King James Version, right? Um, there were the thighs and the thous and everything. But our purpose was not to pray this as our only prayer. Our purpose was, this is the purpose, Jesus is teaching here. He's supposed to showcasing what we're supposed to do. And so what's beautiful here is that the concept of prayer was not new to the people he was talking to, but he was teaching a new concept in which to pray. So instead of this big ritual and all the sacrifices and everything, he's showing you that there's an intimacy, that there's a relational side of the Lord that these people have never heard of before. So look at verse nine with me. 
That's good. I'm, I'm already past verse 9. I'm already passing my notes. <laughs> so the ideal prayer here is that it's God first and man second. But too often, how are we quick to do man first, and maybe if we have enough time, we'll get to God, right? You've heard, you've heard the analogy. We use God as a genie in the lamp, or we have God in our little box, and we take him out when we need something. When we're done, we put him back. That's how we treat prayer most of the time. We'll, we'll treat prayer when we have something really on our hearts. Oh, okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer. We really need, we need a financial uh, a blessing. We need this healing. We need something. But rarely do we treat prayer as a relational day-to-day -day activity with our Father. How on earth can we get to know our Savior? How on earth can we, can, we, can we even praise and worship in the sanctuary without knowing him throughout the week? If you question, why don't I feel the same way that this person beside me feels in worship? That's because you haven't spent time with your father. He is a mystery to some of us. He's just some being to some of us that we hear about in church. He's not somebody that we spend time and quality with. If I didn't talk to my wife every single day, she would just start to seem like this distant person. If I didn't get to know her heart, get to know her, her desires, get to know what she likes, what she doesn't like, how could I ever grow in my relationship with her? And that's the same thing with our father. How can we ever grow in our relationship with him? If we, don't get the, if we don't spend the time and get to know him. So first off, we are to remember that when we're talking to our Father, our Creator, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, we are talking to our God, right? So how do, how do we approach him? So normally, how, how people would pray is they would have such reverence, right? They would call him Yahweh, Jehovah, all these all these different kind of names, but look at what Jesus says. Our, what's that word? Father. And what's very interesting about this is nowhere in the history of Israel, go ahead and check, nowhere in the history of Israel did anyone ever pray, Our Father. But if you look, every time Jesus had a chance to pray, he says, Our Father. And this word, our father, in the, in the common Aramaic, it's, it's actually translated to Abba. And, and children in this time would know the word Abba as a word that they would, they would call their dad. They wouldn't say, hello, father. They'd say, dad, daddy. They would go to their father because that's the relational side. Jesus is showcasing here. God desires a relationship with you. He is your father. He, you are his children. And he desires you to view it this way. You know, very, how cringy is it when we hear, uh, it's all over the internet right now, you know, when <laughs> some girls might say daddy God or something. That's, that's a whole other side of it that I won't even get into. I don't want to touch that. But there's, there's, something, there's something about looking to God as our dad. Right? What do you call your dad? I call my dad dad. I don't say father. Hello, father. I <laughs> don't do that. Because he and I have a relationship. I call him and say, hey, Dad. I love you, Dad. I need to treat our Father in the same way. In secret. In the privacy of my prayer room. Father. He's bringing this level of intimacy that no one has 
ever heard of before. This is, this is mind, it's not mind-blowing to us because we hear it all the time. But for these people that are hearing Jesus say, and he's saying, Abba, they're going, what? How can you address him this way? Because he desires you to address him this way. This is what the Lord desires. So first, Jesus starts with bringing the relational side, and then he continues with adding the reverence side. Because once again, we're still talking to the king of kings. He says, hallowed be your name. It's not Halloween or anything. It's hallowed be your name. The name of the Lord is equal to the character of the Lord. Just like Psalms 8 says, how majestic is your name. When the Bible talks about his name, it's talking about who he is, what he is, all the things he, all the things he does. Look at Psalms 20, uh, verse 7. It says, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. This is who he is. His name is trustworthy. Psalms 8, his name is majestic. Some Psalms say, hey, his name is steadfast, faithful, constant, all these things. This is who he is. So we're describing the name, we're describing the character of who God is, saying, Abba, you are amazing. And not only just saying amazing, amazing has kind of a small term to it. But look at this. He says, hallowed, the root of hallow means to set apart as holy or to consider holy, or to treat as holy. So not only is he saying, Dad, our Father, he's saying, you are holy above it all. Still putting God on the place of reverence, a place of respect, just as you would your own father. We sang last week the song, Holy, 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 one of my favorite hymns of all time. And, and, and for the, the, the ancient Hebrew text, when you said a word three straight times, that means that is, the antis, that is the exact term of who that person is. If we were to say, God, you are holy, 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 he is the definition of holy. That's what that means. And so here, we're once again saying, God, you are to be considered, set apart, you are the holiest of holies. This is how we start prayer. This is how we start. We praise the name of God, right? Our Father, you are awesome, magnificent, majestic, holy, the Savior, the provider, choose whatever. Jesus is teaching us to praise his name first and foremost. Why? Because that puts our priorities in place. We know exactly how we're supposed to treat him. Because too often we go, Dear Lord, would you please provide this? Please rain down. And he's, he hears your cries, but how, how often do we put ourselves first? God, would you do this in my life? God, would, even would you speak through me in your life as I pray today? Instead, God, you are, there is none like you. There is none like you. Nothing compares to who you are. Why is that so uncommon for us? Because normally, we think about ourselves way more than we think about anything else. But Jesus here is teaching us to put your mind on God. Put your mind on him first. If we do not live constant lives of praise, 
We cannot properly give reverence to the name of the Lord with full authenticity. If you don't live a life of praise, if praise comes difficult to you, I would surmise that the Spirit of the Lord is not dwelling with you. God is a God of life. Jesus constantly praised the Father any chance he got. He says it in this example. We should be creatures of praise. We should be able to look at our friends Jackson. I love the shoes today, man. You always kill it. Mr. Keith, you always look sharp. Look at that tie. I appreciate your service. Miss Marie, I love that green today. You look so beautiful today. Look at them. Does that make you feel better? Yes. Praise is this infectious tool that not only makes that person feel better, but guess what? It made me feel better because it took the attention off of me. If you want anxiety, depression, and all these things to come out of your life, focus on somebody else's life. Take that garbage, put it off the side, and focus on how you can uplift somebody else. C.S. Lewis was famous for saying, and this is not the verbatim, uh, exactly the quote, but for, for context, this is what it basically says. C.S. Lewis says that the act of praise is not merely the response to joy, but the completion of it. So when, when I eat, she doesn't make it for me anymore, but Janet used to make this Coca-Cola cake, and it was this nice chocolate cake with icing, and there was Coca-Cola in it. Um, it, sound, it might sound weird to you, but it was awesome. She hasn't made it since like five years. <laughs> I still remember, but when she made it and I took that first bite, just, do I just go, okay. or I go, oh my goodness, this is amazing. And I tried enough to praise it and she still won't make it. But I just, I just remember in the moment, ah, oh, this is so, and you know what? She doesn't make it because she thought she made it poorly. She, she was very insecure about how she made it. But my job was to go, no, this is rocking. This is the best cake I've ever had. It's not just my response, that's my completion of joy. If you lack joy, you lack praise. If you lack praise, you lack joy. They go hand in hand. You see the most smiley people, they got praise in their life, they got joy in their life. The joy of the Lord. We continue to keep our attention upward. Let us not jump to our own cares first. Let us not jump to our own worries first. We must keep our posture of praise and reverence to the Lord. That's what Christ is teaching us. This is not my way. It's exactly what Christ is teaching us here. So continually, what does he say in the next verse? Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. We'll address this real quick. So once again, he's keeping the attention on the Lord. He didn't even just say, how will be your name? Okay, here's what you can do for me. No, no, no. He goes, your kingdom come, keeping the attention on, G on, on the Father. So when he says your kingdom come, there's three different variables in here. He's addressing the past, the present, and the future. Because when we say your kingdom come, that might sound like just like the second coming of Christ. That's, talk, that's the future aspect of it, right? When, when Christ returns and he establishes his new kingdom, we desire that. Or we should. But he's not just talking about that. He's talking about the past, right? God has already been the king of all creation. Jesus is praising him for that. Look at Psalms 24, 
one through two. The earth is the Lord's and fullness thereof and the world and those who dwell therein. For he is founded upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. He is praising God that he's already the king of kings. He is already the established king of all creation. But he's also addressing the present. When Christ came to earth, God's kingdom came to earth. Praising for that. To acknowledge God's kingdom is to be pursued above it all. When we say your kingdom come, we are then putting our attention off of what we want, off of what America wants, off of what this world wants, and putting it on what God wants for the earth. That's the present side of it. Right? When Christ came, he brought the kingdom of heaven with him. When he called men and women into obedient conformity with the Father's will. He's bringing this kingdom aspect along. He was living like the kingdom was supposed to be, like what the Garden of Eden was supposed to be. Christ lived the perfect life. He showcased what God's intention was for this creation. He brought the kingdom with him. So we ask God, not only have you been king forever, not only will you be king in the future, you are king now. Let your, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Submitting our wills to God is one of the greatest needs and should be one of our greatest desires. Now, I think that's the thing that we probably lack the most in our prayer life is asking for God's will to be done. Because most of the time, God's will is opposite from my will, unfortunately. Most of the time, God's answer is not always with my answer. But even the one who had to suffer the cross continually asked for God's will to be done. Look at Mark 14, 36. Jesus prayed this. He was in the garden, and he was, he was, the Bible says he was sweating blood out of his skin because he knew the torment and the torture that was before him. Look at this. He says, Abba, Father, Dad, my Dad, all things are possible with you. He starts with praise. Look at that. It's not uncommon with Christ's prayer. But he says this, remove this cup from me. Do not let me go through this torment. God, do not let me walk down this path. Would you spare me of the hurt? But he doesn't finish there. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. The worst torture you could ever imagine that Christ went through. He was asking, imagine, he was asking, God, would you remove this? Don't let me walk through this, my father. But he was obedient enough till death, as his word says. He desired the Lord, the Father's will, and so should we. Why? Because God's way is better. God's plans are better. Any plan that I put in place, I've messed up, but any plan that God has executed has worked and been successful and been beautiful. His ways are better than my ways. But when we start our ways with elements of praise and we're looking towards the Lord, it can and will change everything in our lives. 
It can and will change everything in your attitude. It can and will change everything that you possibly can see. Because we take the attention off of me and what I think and put it on the Lord. So I have one point for the day. If you take nothing else from today, take this. Praise is a perspective shifter. The element of praise is a perspective shifter. I titled this sermon, Prayer Spective, because what Christ is trying to teach us here is to shift your priority, shift what you think is what you're supposed to do and put it on the Lord's. And we immediately, when we start to focus on God and his kingdom and his will, we immediately, we, we just take our focus and put it on his. And then, just like we said, joy comes in. Peace comes in. Comfort comes in. That's what he promises. That's what's all in his name. And if you are struggling this morning to just, just get out of bed to find the new day, this is what the Lord desires for you, to go to him in prayer, to let that aspect of praise shift your mind into understanding and trusting. So as we close here, and I'm gonna call Michael up to the stage, when we, when we can see through the lens of our fathers, see through his eyes, you could find more strength to walk through this life. Amen. When you see through his eyes, through his lens, through his, his guide map, you will have way more strength to get through this life. That is a promise from the Lord. So I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Psalms, chapter 77. This is where we're going to close this morning. Psalms, chapter 77. We're going to read this, and this is one of my favorite psalms to read during worship, to encourage my heart. But I want us to see how the author went about writing this. This is a lament song. It's not a praise song. But this lament song is to help us understand how powerful a prayer, a life of prayer and praise can be. How it can shift our perspective, how it can immediately change our attitudes, our perspectives. So we're gonna walk through this. Because for me, it's not about how it begins, but how it ends. So let's walk through the Psalms together. Verse one, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God and he will hear me. In the day of trouble I seek the Lord. In the night my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. Have you been in that place that you were just unwilling to be comforted, to be at peace? Are you holding on to something this morning that just, it feels so good to hold on to it, but it's draining you of your life? This is a place of rawness for the author. He doesn't want a hug. He wants answers. And the, and the author, we see, he's even trying to be a faithful believer, right? We've tried so often. 
says in verse three, when I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. So he's not immediately cured, right? He went to the Lord, but he's still frustrated. He's still in angst. He's still, and, and there's many reasons. There's not exactly uh, a, a reason in history that we know why he feels this way, but, but this is the realness. I've always wondered why would the Lord allow this in scripture? Why would he let this be breathed into, into writing that we would read forever? I believe because it strengthens us and knows that we're not alone in how we feel. You're not alone in your doubts. You're not alone in your weariness. Life is hard. Spoke to my uncle yesterday who counsels marriages and, and many people and he just said, life is hard. He sees broken marriages all the time and people in despair all the time. And all he could say was life is hard. It is. Verse four, you hold my eyelids open. He can't sleep. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. And I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart that my spirit made a diligent search. So he's trying. He knows there's nowhere else to go. But he's trying to break through this mold and yet he doesn't find anything yet. He's trying to praise God, you're good. I just. I'm having a hard time trusting you. I'm having a hard time believing it in my spirit. It's one thing to say, it's another thing to believe it. Here, he's, he's in this real place of desperation, of questioning. Look, verse seven. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Will God not ever bless me ever again? Will he keep, his, will he keep this cup of blessing away from me? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? What a question. In the face of the Lord, he's saying, because the word steadfast means to be constant, and he's questioning, has that constantness stopped? We, we all should relate to this, because if we were honest and real, we have questioned this. Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? No need to raise your hands, but who can relate to this? In some of my darkest days, I felt this way. So my weariness, when I was in the hospital with COVID, I asked, is this it? Am I done? 2021, Jan and I talk about it a lot. The year 2021 was probably the hardest year we've ever had to go through with car wrecks, surgeries, COVID, changing jobs. Just, I, I remember just wondering, God, has, has your blessing removed off my head? Is it it? Have I, have I wronged you so much that you're done with me? Am I gonna go work construction somewhere, which is okay? Am I gonna go, are you asking me to leave ministry because you're just done with me? Has his favor left me? 
want us to look at verse 11. And know this, that's why tomorrow is a day of remembrance for our prayer life. A huge help for our hearts of praise is to remember how good has been to help push us to praising how good he will be. Verse 11, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. This is the pivot here. After just questioning all that God was doing, all that he apparently was not doing, he just says, I will ponder all your work and meditate on all your mighty deeds, all the things that God has done so far. He has always been faithful. Why am I questioning it now? He has never had a gap in his faithfulness. And all of a sudden, he remembers. This is the pivot here. All of a sudden, he, he regulates all, all that he knows of the Lord, all that he's seen. What have you seen in your life? The marriages, the children, the jobs, the beautiful homes, all these, the, the mountains, the, the vacations, all these. Look at what he's done, how he's healed maybe your family, how he's healed you, how he's done a work in you. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, there is a spirit of praise that arose in the author's life. Look what he says in verse 14, or 13, excuse me. Your way, O God, is holy. Hallowed be your name. You are set apart as holy, Lord. What God is great like our God? He went from questioning God's compassion and favor to all of a sudden praising him for how good he is for how holy he is. All of a sudden, his perspective has been shifted. Do you see this? You are the God who works wonders. Now he's praising for the future. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed, you, with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the water saw you, O God, when the water saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, they, the deep trembled. So no longer does he fear anything else. He says that the, all creation is in a fearful state of the Lord. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the world when your lightning lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. You path, you, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. Whew. And he ends with this, a heart of trust. You lead your people like a flock by the, by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is not like Psalms 8 where, he's, where David was just in this state of praise. This is the realest of reals. This is where it gets. This is what a life of praise and prayer can do for you. God, I promise you, you don't want to be miserable. You don't want to be depressed. You don't want to live this life of darkness around you. The enemy does. The enemy's telling you, oh, God's forgotten about you. He's never done this for you. He's done that since day one. Did God really say? But when we add a life of prayer and praise, we see everything differently. We see 
as creation was meant to be. We see as life was meant to be lived. Do you understand that? This is what God promises you. Yes, we are supposed to praise his name because he is worthy. But the effect that praise has on your life is too good not to have. The joy, the peace, the comfort, the, the, the understanding, the trusting that comes with it is priceless. This is what God wants to do for you. What are you carrying today? What is burdening you today? What is keeping you from praising today? This is what he wants to shift for you. This is what he wants to do. This is our God. This is what he wants to do for you. Our Father, Abba. A life of praise should be a discipline for us. And know this, it's the last thing on my notes and I'll, I'll move forward. The discipline of praise in our prayer life is the secret key to living a joy-filled and comforted life. If you're looking for that key, that mystery, adding praise in your prayer life is the secret. This is the way. This is the way. This is what God wants. He wants you to see it. He's worthy to be praised, and he should be praised in his sanctuary. But do you ever feel awful after worshiping God in here? Do you ever go, man, that stunk? No, with a heart of praise, knowing that it's only for him, we feel the sense of heaven around us. You were woven in your DNA to be creatures of praise. Praise him with your actions. Praise him with your thoughts. Praise him with your words. Praise him with your hands. Praise him with your voices, your throats, your, your, your songs. Praise him in your prayers. Praise him on your knees. Praise him in secret. Praise him in the body. This is what he desires for you and for me. And it cannot be emphasized enough. So as we move to this time of response, and it's not like a normal invitation where, you know, some people might come forward or, or anything. No, no, this is a time for us to respond to the word that we heard. We, want, we are going to respond in praise to the Lord. I'll give you the, give you the secret. We're going to be singing that song that says, Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forevermore. For endless days we will cease your praise, O oh Lord, O oh Lord our God. If you, have, you don't have a praise today, praise that today. Just praise the name of the Lord today. Let's be disciplined. Let's go to the Lord in our praise. Father, we come to you today.